0: Miyamoto Musashi. Miyamoto Musashi. As you said last week, the LeBron James of chopping people with swords. Yeah. I mean, I mean truly. This, this guy, yeah. So, today, we're talking about The Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi. You're trying to provide context again? <laughs> yeah, you know me. I'm soft, so I love context. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a snowflake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to just, like, jump right in and start talking about, like, how to hold the sword. And all I, I mean, we could do that, too. All right. No, no, no. But I think the context is a good idea.
0: I so, just... let's see. Miyamoto Musashi, let me go to one of my uh, one of my favorite quotes from the book, just to jump right into it. So, quote, when you are even with an opponent, it is essential to keep thinking of stabbing him in the face with the two of <laughs> 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 the intervals between the opponent's sword blows and your own sword blows. When you have the intention of stabbing your opponent in the face, he will try to get both his face and his body out of the way. When you can get your opponent to shrink away, there are various advantages of which you can avail yourself to win. You should work this out thoroughly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, podcast done. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing you can take away from today... It's probably that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think like one thing I was thinking about earlier today uh, is like picture yourself when you're 13 and just think of like what you were like. You know, like for most of us, you're probably playing video games or playing My Little Pony, um, you know, eating cheese pizzas, like having sleepovers. Yeah. Picture you get into a fight with like Like who's a good example Brock (laughs) Lesnar and you kill him (laughs) that's that's Musashi like when Musashi was 13 he like fought and defeated a swordsman um with a wooden sword he was like a professional fighter yeah um and he did this with no training um and then at 16 he did it again and he was in some of the biggest battles in Japanese history and he did this repeatedly and had like you know over 60 duels um no training no teacher he won them all against people of every like different style and he really was like the lebron james of like dueling with swords during like the kyoto renaissance yeah
0: yeah Yeah, it's pretty remarkable to i mean not not just to win but to literally survive 60 duels with swords one duel (laughs) yeah exactly 60 though you know between the ages of 13 and 29 um is when he was doing this and like he was just going from town to town like finding the best fighter and like challenging them to duels that's a
1: it's a crazy thing to think about it was a different world back then that's for sure 100% and it's like the things that you think happen based on samurai movies like actually happen like he's like He challenged the Yoshioka clan, who were like martial arts instructors to the shogun's family, uh, fought off a group of their disciple beneath the pines of Ichiko Temple, uh, who were trying to like take revenge for him killing like their master, (laughs) and then opened his eyes to the Two Heavens style of sword fighting.
0: It is crazy. Like in this book, he repeatedly talks about like techniques for how to fight off like you know ten to twenty people. As a single individual. <laughs> it's like what does how are you alive at the age of
1: sixty when he's writing this book? And and in this time, like if you get nicked, you're done. Like, yeah, you, you're gonna get an infection and die, I feel like. It's not even like lose the fight, it's like if you win and get nicked. Yeah. You know? Like,
0: yeah, like mid sixteen hundreds, Japan or anywhere. Yeah, you get stabbed by like a dirty sword, like it's like getting bitten by a Komodo dragon or some shit. Like, those bacteria are gonna... Just kill you. Like, yeah, There's, there's no
1: antibiotics. You. Like, there's nothing,
0: you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely crazy. It's definitely crazy. Another one that I thought was, like, straight out of a movie was, like... He goes to fight Gunryo Sasaki Kojiro, who was, like, a sword teacher of the Hosokawa clan. And they row out to a small, lonely island called Funashima... Uh, in the sea off of Kokura, and on while he was being rowed out, he carves a wooden sword from his oar, and he uses his wooden sword, in quotation marks, to like kill his opponent. That's ridiculous. Is yeah. that in the introduction of your
0: edition? Yeah, yeah. Okay, nice, nice.
1: This is like all like samurai movie shit. It's like crazy. It is insane to think that that's uh, a person, <laughs>
0: a person that actually happened. Um, you know, it's not just
1: uh, it's legend. Not just like,
0: yeah, legend.
1: The legend, the legend goes far beyond. Like, there's, there's a like, uh, I haven't read this. I read, I listened to like the first part of the audio book. But there's a book called Musashi, which is like his tale, with all the legend like in it. Okay. And and that that really like goes like to like supernatural. Level yeah. That point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so in terms of this book. Um, basically, at sixty, um, influenced by the book uh, "The Unfettered Mind" and other manifestos on, you know, martial arts in Japan, you know how to excel at what he calls the martial sciences. He decides to kind of sit down and and write down his kind of manifesto on. Martial arts and yeah. and how to achieve that. Um, and it's quite an interesting book. I mean, I think you know if I'm talking about first impressions, uh, I think that stabbing in the face quote that I read is is really like sums it up. Um, a lot of this book is very technical descriptions of like how to chop people most effectively. With <laughs> like, he really, really goes. He's like you know. Here are the five guards. Here are the three kinds of preemptions. Like, um, you know, make sure this is how you stab in the face. This is when you should stab in the heart. Uh, Here's how you hold your sword. Um, All of these types of things. But, you know, I think going a step beyond that, there was also a lot of interesting things about like the philosophy and the practices that you need to have in order to. Master your craft whatever that is
1: yeah yeah i i think you're you're right and what's interesting is like he he has the, this this ethos baked in where he's like when you see the way broadly you see it in all things you know where he's like master the martial arts lets you master all the other ways and you have to dig a little bit to like find those snippets because a lot of it is very specific to sword fighting yeah yeah so which is interesting too um and I think um, we'll see like what, what time permits, but maybe we'll go take like a free kendo class and then we'll like do a second Musashi episode and be like, hey, we tried everything in the book and went to jail. <laughs> <laughs> we, we brained someone on an island after kendo class.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. When we tried kendo when we were kids, I remember it being a, a bit of a letdown.
1: I remember just being a huge bitch to like Mima <laughs> and she was like driving us there. <laughs> I don't
0: remember that. Mima's our mom, by the way. Uh but yeah. yeah. When we were kids we like demanded to to take a kendo class It was let
1: down, yeah. The rule yeah. set is very restrictive and like it's no one uses swords anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the thing is like, you know, when you are a kid and you wanna get into sword fighting, like what you are thinking of is like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or like Star Wars or something like that. Yeah. Real sword fighting is not like that. Real sword fighting is just about trying to kill your opponent Yeah. as effectively yeah, exactly. as possible.
1: Exactly. Um, and the derivative sports, you know, have a similarly narrow focus. Right. And I think that's really true for real anything, right? Is it doesn't always conform to our, our um, you know, our aesthetic expectations.
0: Definitely. Definitely. There's a good quote about that actually somewhere here. Let me try to find it. Okay, here we go. So, he's talking about um, other martial arts uh, and other martial arts schools and, and people. So, quote, The field of martial arts is particularly rife with flamboyant showmanship, with commercial popularization and profiteering on the part of both those who teach the science and those who study it. The result of this must be, as someone said that amateuristic martial arts are a source of serious wounds, end quote. Um, it's still
1: true. Yeah, it is still it's true. Very true, yeah.
0: And I also thought it was interesting, you know, this idea of like a field that is very like central and, and popular in the current zeitgeist and the society that he is, being kind of like overtaken by people who are all about this, you know commercial pro- popularization and, and showmanship instead of, like, you know, focusing on the substance of what they're actually trying to do.
1: 100%. I, I have a quote here that, that's on the same lines, which is, like, form is made into ornament, the flower is forced into bloom, and technique is made into display. That's a good one. Yeah. We
0: might be reading different translations.
1: But that's good, because, like, I, I didn't catch that one. Yeah. And I thought... Continue, there's just a spider... Here, you make a comment, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can peacefully move this spider. Alright, so spider. Good. Did That's very sad to peacefully. It go? A ah, it's on the cup. Co- yeah, I'll be back. You talk about something. <laughs> Alright, so um,
0: I think one of the interesting things um, about this book that um, that Musashi really gets at is this idea of practice um, and the idea of in order to be an expert at your craft and, and truly be a master, um, it's not just about reading and learning, which is critical, but it's also about just constant Practice and doing the thing that you're trying to do. Um, so I found that to be like you know something that he really hits on uh, uh, quite a bit and an important part of his philosophy. And I think that applies in kind of broad strokes to um, anything that you do. Um, it's just this idea of constant practice and and doing. You know, I think that actually relates to what we're doing here in general, right? Like yeah. for us. We're very interested in entrepreneurship and, and business and all of those things. And we've been talking about that for a long time. Um, and one of the big reasons we're doing this and we're working on this app is to be practitioners, right? Yeah. And that's how you get to that next level is just by doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. You can't build that intuition and that feel for a particular craft without doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that, like, implicit knowledge, right? It's like, certain knowledge is explicit, certain knowledge is implicit. You can read as many books as you want about swimming, but until you jump in the water, um, that 20% of knowledge that's implicit, that makes it all work, you can't know. Um, And, yeah, like you said, like, you you get that by doing. Right. Yeah. Right. I managed to, like, save the spider.
0: (laughs) That's noble. You can tell you've been going to the Zen Center. It was gross. <laughs> um, so another one that I thought is is interesting here is um, generally another like broad theme that I saw in this book again and again is this idea of adaptability. And he talks about this a lot. Um he talks about it in the beginning of the book. He talks about it later in the book. He especially talks about it in his criticism of other schools of martial arts, right? He talks about how, you know, a certain school only uses extra long, long swords. A certain school only uses extra short, short, long swords. Another school always strikes with a lot of power. And what he's saying is that, you know, um, his school is focused on victory at all costs. And the idea, you know, here, here's a quote related to this. Fixation is the way to death. Fluidity is the way to life. This is something that should be well understood. So basically just this idea that you have to be adaptable to your circumstances around you. And that's the way to truly, truly be effective in, I think, anything that you're doing, you know? Um, yeah, and I think it goes back to that theme again and
1: again throughout this. When we read the unfettered mind, like that's going to come back up as well. It's like <clears throat> this idea of like the mind being minutely integrated into experience and being in close observation and responsiveness with experience and not getting fixated and therefore stuck and opening up opportunities for you to be struck down. So like if you're... Um, if if you're, you know, sparring with a sword and you're focused on the opponent's, like, right hand, you know, their left hand strikes you. But if you're just, like, integrating your full experience and you have this, like, deep awareness and deep well of, um, you know, training to back you up, you don't need to fixate on specific things. You're able to, like, be in the moment and be adaptive in that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He also talks about, at one point, the idea that, like, you know, the end end of the path is like this kind of abundant creativity and like lack of rigid formal uh, technique based you know fighting where he's just like do what you need to do to cut them down you don't have to do this fixed set of techniques um yeah yeah definitely like where's I'll, i'll try to look for the the quote on that While
0: you look for that, here's another one uh, that I thought was interesting. So, quote, When you master an art or science, your performance does not appear to be fast. For example, there are professional courier runners who travel a route of about 15 miles, but even so, they do not run fast from morning to night. As for those who lack the training, even if they seem to run all day, they do not reach the goal. End quote. So, I think this is something that I've observed definitely, you know, in, in various fields. But if you see someone who's truly reached like a mastery of, of what they do, you rarely if ever see them kind of like frantically trying to do stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. they're very much like present in the moment. They're collected, they're calm and they're figuring out how to address the situation. Um, you know, I've seen that with great people in software. You know, there's a critical escalation. Something's going horribly wrong, and you know, a lot of people, um, especially junior people, may be running around like headless chickens. But you know, the the lead is like just calm and collected. He's like, "All right, what's the problem? How are we going to debug it? You know, how are we going to get to the root cause? How are we going to solve it? What's the fix? What's the timeline? Is there a workaround?" Yeah. Um, yeah. All of these kinds of things, and I think the same thing is true. Like if you watch great fighters, like in UFC for example, or, yeah. or Jiu Jitsu, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, there's exceptions. People who are brawlers, but I think most of the people who are excellent fighters, mm-hmm. they're just composed. You know, like yeah. take like uh, Israel Adesanya, right? Yeah. Um, he never looks flustered in a fight. He's just cool and collected. You know, he's bouncing. He's aware of everything that's happening um, and he's really like just waiting for his moments and
1: picking his spots and and striking. Yeah, yeah, and there's like slower and faster fighters, but I definitely like notice in Jiu-Jitsu, like the better people are always very slow and methodical, you know, like you're the one who's working and when they're fast, it's like concentrated effort towards a specific end. Yeah. You know, they're not like fast because they're they're worried that you're gonna like get one over on them. They're fast because they're trying to cinch this one particular position or submission or something like that right Yeah. You know?
0: yeah yeah I don't think it's a lack of speed but it's like it's it's the control you know it's yeah. it's they're
1: never looking like
0: frantic and like they're they're scrambling you know
1: yeah like they know what to do therefore they don't have to scramble right you know like yeah I I, I like I find when I'm when I'm rolling with someone who's less experienced I'm much slower like, yeah. much, much slower. I really don't feel like I'm in a rush at all. Like, yeah. But when I'm rolling with someone more experienced, I can get into that mode where I'm like, just like, ah, you know? <laughs> like, just tr- try anything. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, you know, they're like, don't. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you find the the quote that you were looking for?
1: Um, no. <laughs> all right. I dog-eared, like, 17 pages, but I'll just say, like, another quote. I'll say this one. Attack suddenly with a different technique. And if that has no effect, you should use yet a different one. Thus, if your opponent is thinking mountains, attack with seas. And if he's thinking seas, attack with mountains. Here's the challenge with this book. And the challenge with strategy in general, like the field of strategic literature for what we do in startups, Mm -hmm. is we often are competing against inertia, competing against time, uh, competing against uncertainty and the unknown. What we aren't competing against always is a defined set of uh, competitors who know who we are and are vying for the same target. And right. these strategic dynamics come into play if there's someone else and you, and you both have your eyes on the same ball, and you're going for that ball. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, some
1: of those things can be tricky to to apply. Um, yeah. Like Even for your company, which is like a big company at this point, You guys have some competition, but it's not really like this. You know, seems like it's not really this head-to-head red water, like battle to the death over, you know, a given customer. You know.
0: Yeah, I think there can be that in certain segments um, of the market, but that's definitely not. I mean, as a young company, right, a a startup or even a mid-sized company. That's not the business you want to get into, you know, is slugging it out um, on a day-to-day basis for a particular customer, right? Especially if you're in, you know, an emerging market, like, I think the idea should be that, you know, let's go, like, there's enough of a growth in this market for us to get a piece and, you know, potentially for other people to get a piece. We never want to just give that away, but... Let's focus on our product and how we can get new customers and what we can do best rather than focusing on, you know, what do we need to do to beat this particular competitor, right? Because that's how you get into, like, this contest of matching, like, feature for feature and you lose sight of your product vision and and what you're really trying to build.
1: And start dwindling your returns. Yeah. When if you can cultivate a more collaborative dynamic in a new market, then, you know, you can all get together and create a whole product ecosystem that's more compelling and, like, expand the pie, like you're saying. Yeah. So that's why some of this stuff, like, is hard to, you know, it's going to be a while before we're able to apply it outside of, like, a sporting context.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, I mean, some of this stuff, like, (laughs) even to apply it in in a sporting context is pretty tricky unless you're doing, like, kendo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let me me find an example here. Um, There's one that I had here. See, um, Well, actually, instead of reading that, let me read a quote that's actually uh, more useful. So, you should not have any special fondness for a particular weapon, or anything else, for that matter. Too much is the same as not enough. Without imitating anyone else, you should have as much weaponry as suits you. To entertain likes and dislikes is bad for both commanders and soldiers. Pragmatic thinking is essential,
1: end quote. So again, that's that idea of, you know, adaptability, right? Yeah, that Um, definitely applies. I think that applies particularly to us right now because like, you know, we're both non-social media people to a pretty extreme degree. We're like, you know, like, but if we want to engage with folks, if we want to talk to folks about this stuff, we're going to have to be adaptable and loosen some of our likes and dislikes in order to like engage. Yeah. Uh, You know?
0: Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, we're we're gonna have to do that, um, whether we like it or
1: not. And I think that's true for a lot of things. Like when you look at <clears throat> when you look at people in general, like the gulf between most people and greater success is these preferences. Is you know, I'm a technical person, but I don't like sales. I don't I don't want to like learn about that. You know, or like I'm uh, a salesperson and you know, I don't want to get into the technical side of things. I don't want to understand that better. Yeah. Uh, I'm in you know this department and I can't appreciate what the other department is bringing to the table. I, I'm not willing to do that, you know? There's a lot of that, you know? Yeah. Or I'm timid and reflective. I'm not willing to learn how to be bold and gregarious. Or I'm bold and gregarious, I'm not willing to learn how to be thoughtful and, and learn how to listen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, I thought another interesting idea that that Musashi talks about is the idea of keeping your goal in mind every time you you start um, an act, right? Every time you're practicing. So he puts this in a very, you know, again, very like killing people with swords focused <laughs> way. But but let me quote from the book here. Um, First of all, when you take up the sword, in any case, the idea is to kill an opponent. Even though you may catch, hit, or block an opponent's slashing sword, or tie it up or obstruct it, all of these moves are opportunities for cutting the opponent down. This must be understood. If you think of catching, think of hitting, think of blocking, think of tying up, or think of obstructing, you will thereby become unable to make the kill. It is crucial to think of everything as an opportunity to kill. This should be given careful consideration.
1: End quote. This guy would have been a good salesman. Yeah, that's true. Right? He has that like very competitive ethos, like very creative, uh, and just like always be closing, Like truly. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously, yeah. He is always, always doing that. So here's an interesting angle. Uh, were, were you about to say something? No, I wasn't. Go ahead. Yeah. Here's an interesting angle, which is... Um, one of the videos I'm making like to accompany this podcast is on the psychology of elite athletes. And one of the things you see in elite versus non elite athletes is an increase in openness to experience and creativity. Mm-hmm. And Musashi, <clears throat> he was a single-minded killer, but not 100%. He was also a painter, uh, you know, participated in drama, uh, was a meditation master um i think he did like poetry as well so it's just interesting to see like that aspect especially in this time period so like to talk a little bit about the time period like the kyoto renaissance was a period of great abundance following a period of um violence and devastation you know where quoting the book countless treasures were destroyed ancient temples and buildings burned libraries lost forever um, but Japan was brought back to unification and peace by a series of warlords. So this is pretty much what the anarchists, like Michael Malice, this is what they want. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? Why not? But uh, the point is, like, yeah, this, this period of time led to flourishing in the arts of almost every arena. Castle architecture blossoming, you know, deep interest developing in poetry, painting, the tea ceremony, the world of ceramics, um, and Musashi's openness to experience kind of, you know, infiltrated into all these different things. And, and uh, that's how he got his sense that studying the way of the martial art allows you to understand the way of all other arts. Because um, he practiced those too and he saw that, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I think it ties into this idea that we were talking about earlier about how, you know, yeah greatness in any field essentially has common ingredients, you know? Yeah. And, and the ingredient, like Musashi talks about, is unrelenting focus, unrelenting practice. I mean, those are really the two main things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, whether it's Musashi or whether it's Steve Jobs or Kobayashi or- Bryant. <laughs> 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 yeah, Kobayashi Bryant or Michael Jordan or or any of these these people who are masters of what they do. I mean, Yo-Yo Ma or Lang Lang, you know, masters of of music. Yeah. Um or or Nas, you know, um mm-hmm. like
1: we we talked about Gucci Mane last week, like yeah, just cranking out those albums like he, constant constant even when he's in prison, just cranking them out. Yeah. He's yeah. just on his grind, unstoppable, yeah. Yep.
0: And and I think that's really you know, the commonality that you see. I mean, it's, it's kind of unfortunate in a way, right? Because obviously a lot of people, you know, including myself at times would love if you could become great at something without effort. But yeah. I also think there's a certain like cheapness to that, you know? Yeah. Um, and the reality is you just can't do it. So regardless of whether it's cheap or not, like you just have to do the work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how fast unearned merit just breeds nihilism. Like, do you ever play, like, open world games and just, like, reach the end of the game or, like, cheat? And for, like, the first, you know, 30 minutes, it's fun. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do all this random stuff. And then soon after, it just devolves into, like, you just, like, you know, whatever, like, running over, like, a hobo with your horse or something. (laughs) And then you just, like, run over yourself. You're like, I don't want to play this game anymore. Yeah. Whereas if you're, like, working your ass off to, like, complete, you know, you know, get to the next belt in jujitsu, you know, get a promotion as an engineer, when you get there, it's like, first of all, you just keep going. Yeah, exactly. And then second of all, it it doesn't have the same sense of uh, nihilistic emptiness. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, because I think that, so, I think that in the art of doing, right, if I, if you take the example of a promotion as an engineer, right, in as you work to get to that next level one you're learning and growing and then two you're realizing how much more there is that you don't know so yeah. you may get to the next level in title but by the time you've learned enough to get there you've learned how much more there is and you're like okay I, I obviously have to keep going like yeah 100 yeah, percent I, f- I find there's no real like you know stop and oh this is great now i'm I've done it you know like yeah. no it's like this is good, you know, I think it's important to take a moment to celebrate your achievements, but at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not there, I'm not even close. It's like, it's kind of like if you're going up a mountain, you know, there are all these, like, false summits. If you go on long hikes, if you go backpacking, like, especially in a mountainous area, this happens to you all the time, right? You're, yeah. you're going up the hike for, like, a couple of miles, you see what you think is the summit. You're like, I'm going to get there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And you're never, you crest it. And you're like, Oh shit. That is the next summit is even taller. Like, you know, um, I think that's what diving into any field really is like, like as soon as you get to what you have, your eyes set on a certain level and then you get there and you're like, Oh shit, it goes
1: way further than this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean this this factors in for me when it's like you talk about um like immortality, right? Is um like Aubrey de Grey has this this idea that people rationalize the value of dying because it's unavoidable. So people are like, you know, death is good, it brings like, you know, this host of positives. I wouldn't want to be immortal. Uh, but his thing is is because we don't view it as uh, something to be dissected and tackled, and I think in our lifetimes it's not. But I think in in the long term it is something to be tackled and I think if you were immortal right like any hobby that you have any one hobby is ten or a hundred or a thousand lifetimes worth of investigation you know like if someone like Mozart or Beethoven just kept living they wouldn't have stopped investigating
0: that's possibly true, but I think it's also very possible that you fall into this idea of just like nihilism and stopping to give a shit after you've been doing it for
1: if the rewards accumulate to a certain level, and
0: yeah, you know you're you're this legendary composer who's been doing this for three hundred years. Like, do you even give a shit anymore, or is it just does it just become
1: cheap? Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Maybe you just become the mask. you're like, oh, I'm this person, you know. And, and in Becoming the Mask, you you forget to do the things that made you who you were and lo- lose sight of the true um, true way. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm one of those people that definitely disagrees with
0: Aubrey de Grey. Like, yeah. I think, you know... I don't think, you know, given the choice that I would choose immortality. I think that's something that Musashi talks about a lot as well. It's well, like, yeah. as a warrior, you know... Death should be at the forefront of your mind every day, and I, I'm not. I don't take it to that level.
1: I think that I mean that's a little much for me. I but don't think it's a bad idea though. Even the Stoics propose things like that, and I think there's value in it. Right. Well, I, I think the the valuable thing from
0: that is is the understanding that you know this can all be taken away in the flash of an eye. Right. Yeah, like yeah. you can be walking down the street and have an aneurysm or get hit by a bus or so. You know whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, you know, I think there's some, there's there's part of that that drives me to try to make the most of, of what I have. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the thing that I would fear about immortality the most is like, do you lose that edge? Because, you know, you have this feeling that, you know, we were talking about this earlier, how time is, is the most valuable and fleeting resource. Yeah. Chillingly finite. Chillingly finite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what does it do to your psyche if that becomes infinite,
1: you know? And I'm not sure that I want to find that out for myself. That's a great point, actually. I mean, I guess the argument I would make... Well, it's this, this, like, double-edged sword, right? What I would say is, if you have a a robust meditation practice as one, like, touchstone to kind of keep you grounded, Mm -hmm. you would not dwell on the infinitude of your remaining life or the infinitude of your past. You would just be in this... Moment, but in Buddhism they talk about the fact that like it's this rare uh, opportunity of a mortal life that provides the opportunity for practice because it's emptied in a flash like a like a bolt of lightning, um, you know. So you have to do it now. Yeah, you can't practice tomorrow. You can't practice the next day. It has to be right this very moment here. We all the things have to be resolved right now. Right. Um. So without. Mortality, would you even have a meditation practice that would keep you grounded for the deep stretches of time in which you could perform these investigations? Exactly. Answer might be no. Yeah. Actually, maybe the answer would be no. I think, unless you're someone like exceptional,
0: you know, like maybe Takuan Soho, if he was immortal, would still have a meditation practice.
1: Maybe if he became immortal. But yeah. if he was immortal, see, that's different. That goes back to, like, Frederick Douglass's thing. Is like, if you took us and you dropped us in Baltimore in the, like, slavery era, yes, we would be radical abolitionists and start, like, you know, firebombing freaking, like, Confederate armories and shit. But if we were born there, you know, and our lullabies were about, like, slavery, like, what would we be like, you know? Yeah. Same with Taquan. Like, if he was, like, an immortal being, like, a Roman emperor, and I, Roman emperors aren't immortal, but just making making the comparison of, like, their limitless power with the limitless time of this like imaginary being yeah most people abuse their limitless power right you know and they may not have if they were born in a monastic community in Tibet but yeah 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 it's hard to say yeah but I wonder if it's enough to have a, a history of mortality in, in your species right like if you think about like the Japanese in World War II in World War Two, they weren't samurai but they had this like long legacy of like um, like sh- chivalric values that carried through and carry through to this day. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. So
0: so what I'll say about this is I've had this a similar conversation with one of my good friends and and uh, my partner. We, we've talked about this a few times, and he's he kind of is closer to what you say, which is you know um, we should be immortal. Like you know um, there is value in that and and all of these things. And what I always tell him is that. I hope you figure it out. I hope you can be immortal. And I hope that I die and my death will be a constant reminder of what mortality is to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. fair.
1: (laughs) I mean, I I don't think it's something that we'll figure out in our lifetime. And I think the points you raise are are really good. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that chicken egg situation with the meditation kind of makes me wonder because all the things that would keep you grounded and allow you to make the best of long spans of time like that. Things that that uh, force you to be appreciative of your present moment. Things that push you towards discomfort and, and growth and like learning and investigation. Those things might not flourish without the bite of mortality. Right. So I think I don't know what I think about this anymore. Like maybe it's something where you have to like apply to be immortal and it's like <laughs> you know. But then it just becomes like freaking that movie with the like rich people who are in the fucking Space station, right? It's like who who chooses then, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Maybe like the secret to immortality is in a cup in some like cave, and you have to like climb to it. Oh, and like the like end so Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe okay. that's the thing to do. That I'm
0: down for. That I'm down for. Um. Okay. So anyway, after <laughs> long, long side tangent, uh, Musashi. Is there anything else in this book that? Uh, you uh... Okay, so here's another one um, related to this idea of like um, approaching things in, in different angles. So, quote, when fighting with enemies, if you get to feeling snarled up and are making no progress, you toss your mood away and think in your heart that you are starting everything anew. As you get the rhythm, you discern how to win. This is becoming new. Anytime you feel tension and friction building up between yourself and others, if you change your mind that very moment, you can prevail by the advantage of radical difference. This is becoming new. Hmm.
1: End quote. Oh, I really like that. I really like that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, there's this book called The Hustler. It's about like a pool hall hustler, mm-hmm. and he's like really good, and he's you know doing all these like matches, and he's up against like the, he's in the biggest match of his life, and in that match. There's a point at which internally, mentally, he checks out. And at that point, the other guy, what he does is he goes to the bathroom, splashes water in his face, refreshes himself, comes out, and he wins. And, like, the difference between letting go of, like, what happened in the match previously and starting again, like, beginning again is just so vast in in that book. It characterizes, like, the psychology of that so strongly, like, um, and his disappointment you know and the internal like sense of pushing and pushing and pushing and just letting go at the crucial moment yeah it's kind that, of a scary book yeah
0: no that, that sounds really interesting I, i'd love to check that book out sometime um but you know it's, earlier you were mentioning elite athletes right and the psychology of them i think if you listen to like great athletes or great coaches it's also very common in in what they talk about so like if you look at basketball, so in the playoffs in the NBA, it's a seven game series, right? And if you listen to interviews with the best of the best, right? The LeBron James, the Giannis Antetokounmpo, and, and other people like that, um, they always talk about how, you know, reporters will ask them about, oh, what about this from the previous game? What about this? What about that? And they're like, I'm not thinking about that at all. I'm thinking about this game, this quarter. You know, every yeah. quarter it's zero zero, right? we're always starting anew we're only focused on the present moment we can't think about what happened before all we can think about is you know succeeding in this moment
1: um yeah Yeah. which is yeah so beautiful yeah yeah similar similar ideal I mean it's just interesting how like it's still true to this day but in this era of like the Kyoto renaissance the like marriage between like uh, meditation mastery like you know zen buddhism and like elite athletics in the form of sword fighting in the form of archery and things like that really came together. But like this book could have been written by like Kobe Bryant yeah. or someone like that. Like that same ethos of like, we start a new every point, every game, every quarter right now. Yeah. There is only now, you know, and within the game, like we, we don't get caught, you know, our minds don't get caught. We, we fluidly stay with the game the whole way through, um, in a, in a state of constant adaptability and infinitely minute responsiveness.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I was seeing an interview, I don't remember who it was with, it was with some great basketball player recently, um, and they were in, in the series, basically towards the end of the game, um, they weren't able to score very well, their shots weren't going down, but they just started going... Um, extremely hard defensively they were doing a lot of rebounding um, they're doing a lot of leadership a lot of different things and then you know what they're basically saying is like um, you know even if my shots aren't going down you know you just find ways to contribute you just find ways to compete you know you you keep pushing you keep going hard you try different tactics um, again not getting attached to a certain way of doing things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um that's how you see people really take it to
1: the next level. Um, I mean that's that's that heart, right? It's like that's hard, man. Like when you're when you're really down, you just don't see a way out, you know? Yeah. And you're like, "Hey, I'm still going to keep fighting." Man, that's tough. That is tough. I mean, again, look at so
0: so Giannis Antetokounmpo uh on the Milwaukee Bucks. They won the NBA championship this past year. And this guy was known as a pretty bad free throw shooter, okay? So, yeah. like, his career free throw shooting is something like 60%, which is really bad. Like, yeah. elite free throw shooters shoot 90%. Wow. Um, average free throw shooters shoot, like, 75 80%. So shooting 60% is, like, atrocious. Like, he's missed, you know, seven free throws in a row Ooh. in a, like, playoff game before. Yeah. The last game, the closeout game of the NBA Finals... This guy shot, like, 85% from the free throw line all of a sudden. Damn. Um, And it was just attitude of, like, he's going to keep taking his shots. He's not going to let people get in his head. I mean, he had a thing where you have 10 seconds to shoot a free throw in the NBA, and the refs almost never call this rule. Yeah. Um, He got a call on him, like, twice in the playoffs. And then the opposing team's fans started a thing where every time he was on the free throw line, the entire stadium would start chanting. Counting out one, two, oh, three shit. to ten seconds every yeah. time. Um, you know,
1: that level of pressure. And he just kept shooting, you know? You know what will be a really good, like, extension of this line of thinking? What? Is the Jackie Robinson book. Yeah. Because Jackie Robinson, man, he had shit like that, but, like, violent, right? People would throw shit at him, yell slurs at him. And the whole precondition of his success was he has to be the bigger man always and perform. Right. You know? So, like exploring that depth of stoicism and ability to stay in the moment Mm -hmm. will be really interesting um, after the unfettered mind maybe yeah definitely pending changes at any time (laughs) (laughs) yeah I guess I shouldn't say definitely I guess I shouldn't say definitely no say it and we'll just like Yank it away. It'll make make people more excited. They'll be like, "Oh shit!" It'll help the listeners not get too attached. Yeah, (laughs) see, like we're just doing you you guys a solid. Like it's not even telling you about the book. It's like you're gonna live the book. (laughs) Like you'll be at home looking at the bushes, and we'll pop right out with a sword. (laughs) We're like, never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. (laughs) Oh man, that's classic. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so another thing that I was going to say on this. Um, shit, I, I got distracted by planning the deaths of our, all our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yo, let's see here. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. Do not let your mind stand still even when you're in repose. Do not let it speed up even when you're involved in quick actions. The mind should not be distracted by the body nor the body distracted by the mind. Keep the mind in the exact center, not allowing it to become sidetracked. Here's the problem. The problem for me is, like, that, you can read that, but the way you do that is you practice that. And that's why I think the meditation practice, or some kind of sport, you know, surfing, yoga, um, jiu-jitsu, boxing, like, cycling, any of those things, if you're able to stay in the moment and cultivate open awareness, cultivate concentration, you can embody this. That's the challenge I find with like stoicism is the stoics like say a lot of things where they're like, master your emotions and like be present. But without the practice, I can't do that. I've never been able to do that without practicing. Right. And even with practicing, it's really hard. Yeah. When it counts. (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult for sure.
0: For sure. Yeah, I totally agree, um, in terms of practice, um, and and I also agree that there are different ways to do it, um, I think meditation is a relatively, like, approachable way to do it, um, but, you know, whatever it is for you that works, you know, I mean, I'm sure for some people it's running, swimming, like you said, uh,
1: cycling. If you don't come to distraction. Yeah. Because the benefit of meditation is, like, you are sitting there, and you do it, you, 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 you know cultivate openness of mind you cultivate equanimity you cultivate concentration if you're like bicycling and you're like you know you're not there you're not bicycling your body's bicycling then that doesn't work right so maybe like mountain biking
0: would be easier for that than than just regular cycling because if you don't focus you'll just die yeah
1: against that bite of mortality same with surfing right or if you're like you know in the ring like those things have that um external like spark that forces you to the present or forces you into unconsciousness like (laughs) literally (laughs) yeah you know yeah interesting yeah like I think a lot of people don't like the meditation cause you know like in the polycan they describe it as like your mind when you're first training in meditation is like a fish you know wriggling in the hot sand you know it's like not good yeah (laughs) you know but that's the whole point. like when you're sitting there not feeling good, what you have to like think about is or realize is that's like where your mind is at. you know yeah. like if you were distracting yourself, it would be distracting you from that state of affairs like yeah yeah But different people have different approaches and it's 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 not for some people and I think that's totally fine. And I think also for some people, the like quote unquote stink of zen or in, in our modern parlance, something like you know the kind of a new age scent like um, aesthetic you know just wigs people out and they don't like it you know they don't want to be associated with that stuff yeah I mean that's I don't know
0: that's tough for me to relate to I, I really strive to um, you know just do the things that I want to do without worrying as much about that, but I guess I could see it as well. I mean, it, you know, it goes back to the quote uh, that I that I was reading last week from Frederick Douglass, um, where it's like, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of you know, I would rather be true to myself um, and risk the ridicule of others than to be false to myself and incur my own abhorrence. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, you know, if that's how you're feeling about stuff, I would encourage you to think about that. And, you know, to be honest, like, I'm not perfect with that. I'm sure there are lots of things in my life that, um, you know, we are social creatures. And it is easy to fall into that, being influenced by the social proof and the social pressures. Yeah, the authority. Yeah. 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 But it's important to to try to just think
1: about, you know, what is
0: it that I want to do? What is it that I need to do? Yeah. And to just
1: do that. Yeah, and cultivate a degree of Asperger's to get you there. (laughs) (laughs) You can just be blind to social cues. (laughs) 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 No, I think, um, I mean... We're going to get brigaded for that. (laughs) Are we? Uh, I think it's a good thing. That's fair. I mean, you know. That's fair. (laughs) Also, this is like 52 minutes in Nobody's gonna like Nobody's gonna like That's true Remember this part (laughs) They're gonna dig it up in like 17 years or something That's. I mean, we did talk about like Murdering our listeners (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's fair, yeah That's fair Well, okay If you wanna avoid being murdered by us Read this book and really practice All the shit about like how to chop people with swords, because I'm not actually practicing this stuff. And he really does tell you, like, you know, here's how you can kill someone
1: with a sword. So <laughs> <laughs> If I show up, you know, just to, like, for the effect, you know. It won't take much for you to really, like, one-up us on this. Like, we're, we're going to have to move on from this book after this. Like, we're not going to buy <laughs> the swords and actually do, the, do the, the work we need to do to, like, master the, the sword fighting.
0: Right. The three preemptions and the, the five guards and stabbing the heart,
1: stabbing the face, the body blow, three parries. The third, fourth, fifth, and sixth fundamentals. <laughs> <laughs> Piercing the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Ari raise raises eyebrows and kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's something in here that um that is interesting because it's mirrored in um another freaking writer is it machiavelli yeah where he's like hey you know if you're going to fight someone you should crush them completely even if they seem weak and it's essential that you do it immediately without letting them catch their breath or even glance at you and that's what machiavelli says is like if you're going to antagonize someone don't just, like, throw a shot. Like, you need to crush them completely or not at all. Because now you've created an enemy, you've created some bad karma, and it's uh, it's not good. Yeah. So what that means for just about everybody listening is don't antagonize. People. <laughs> try to build relationships because you you don't have the ability to crush people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't live in a
0: society where you can just <laughs> challenge people to a duel and then chop them with a sword. No, like they're not going anywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 So don't like, you know, make the
1: snarky comment in the meeting just like <laughs> Yeah, try to be be more sophisticated than that. And I say that as someone who is unsophisticated. <laughs> Take my word for it. It's, it's, the, it's the wise move. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten slightly more sophisticated. Like, at least I'm not, like, just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have gotten better over time, and hopefully reading all these books will help, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it can help you as well. Exactly. You know? Yep. We, we, we were just talking about that earlier, is, like, how... Last few months, we've both been um, ramping up our reading a lot, and especially reading, you know, deep, rich, meaningful work that is is um, like our baby brother described it as just like eating straight peanut butter. It's like it's like rich. It's it's got a lot of depth to it, and it's like if you're not used to that, it can be a lot to take on, right? If you're used to reading, you know, Business Insider's five funky tips for killing yourself. <laughs> 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 God damn <laughs> It's hard to go from You know That to like <laughs> <You know? laughs> Look, the point is <laughs> The point is We want you to You know Live Live uh, A deeper More meaningful life You know That's what we're trying to do here We're digging into stuff That you may not encounter In, in your regular You know Forays um, read the stuff yourself dig into your, d- dig into it yourself check out the additional videos that supplement this podcast on YouTube uh we go into the psychology of elite athletes and the degree to which we see that in Mūsashi um we go into the psychology of like stoicism um we look at four different studies really seven different studies cuz one paper has three studies in it about like to what extent does complaining help you like d- d- is venting good for you or is it not good for you because musashi really emphasizes like don't complain don't begrudge death you know don't harbor these uh preferences and then like you know whinge when your preferences aren't satisfied um is that good or is that just like toxic and masculine like what where, where how does it all work out you know um Yeah, those are in the videos. Uh, Check those out on our YouTube channel, Reading Rebellion. Um, Progress on the app?
0: Progress on the app is going well. Um, Starting to get the uh, home screen together. Um, Trying to not get very angry at Swift and uh, Apple. Um, I'm having an issue where a URL session data task publisher is inadvertently sending a request twice for no seemingly good reason. So if anyone listening to this is a Swift expert, (laughs) please reach out. (laughs) (laughs) I could really use your help. I'll buy you a coffee or a beer or something. Um, I I tried the debugger. I I tried looking at some network captures. But anyway, this is probably deeper in detail than than most of the listeners want to hear. I don't know. It's kind of weird to me to give status updates on development. It's something that I'm having to get used to. Um, to be honest, because um, you know, if there's one thing I've learned as a software engineer, it's that you don't want to tell non technical people about the progress <laughs> <making>. because they, <laughs> they think that like your small amount of progress or you know, the initial prototype that you built means it's like ready to go, and that's never the case almost. So, it, it is something that I'm getting used to, but I also think it's good for the for for. Me for accountability and then two um as we start you know, once we get the basic bones of the app in and the structure, um, as we start getting into this behavioral design and stuff, I think that's something that we definitely want to talk to the listeners about and let them know. It's like we talk about a lot. Like, we're trying to be like a personal trainer, not like a team of psychologists sitting in a room with a fifty thousand dollar like oak desk figuring out how to steal your attention and sell it to, like, uh, you know, Russian social media advertising farms that are trying to, like, undermine
1: our democracy. That room is, like, 15 minutes from here. <laughs> like, we passed it, like, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Which one? I mean, there's a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's true. There's, like, like, entire buildings, like, 15 of them. Yeah. Just on the way to, like, getting some coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um we're trying to be like Prometheus and like steal fire from the gods and give it to you and then get like tied to a mountain and have our liver eaten by vultures. Hopefully hopefully Zuck
0: doesn't tie us to a mountain and set the eagles on us.
1: <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> nope. See what we see what the, the pains we take to like help you guys. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, so here's a thought. Um, If a reader asked you, Mm -hmm. I only have time to read one book between all the books you've covered so far, which are only two books, The Book of Five Rings and Frederick Douglass, which one would you tell them to read?
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard one. That's a really hard one. If we count next week's book, too, I would tell them to read The Unfettered Mind. Okay, Because I feel that the the core insights of that book points towards make a good foundation for any activity and foundation for life. Um, but I would say Frederick Douglass is second to that. And then Musashi is amazing, but if you read The Unfettered Mind, the parts of Musashi that are most applicable to you are expounded upon in The Unfettered Mind, I would say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so for me, I would definitely say Frederick Douglass versus Musashi. I haven't read Unfettered Mind yet, so I'll I'll give you an update on that next week. I thought that there were a lot of good nuggets in this book. Um, But, to be quite honest, I did have to do a very, very close reading of the text to find those nuggets. Because if you're just, like, casually flipping through this book, it's really just about chopping people with swords. Yeah, it Um, is. And there's, like, you know, these sentences here and there that give you these like deep psychological insights but um
1: frederick Douglass, that's just constant yeah 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 exactly like you said something a few minutes ago like a quote from, from frederick Douglass that I, I was just thinking like as you, oh yeah about um like your self-perception incurring your own abhorrence as opposed to the abhorrence of others like that literally ties into the science of like self-esteem and how like self-esteem is cultivated by making promises to yourself and keeping them you know, like mm-hmm. hundred, like a I wouldn't say hundreds of years. What like over a hundred years later? Like his, his insights are are um, validated, like repeatedly and thoroughly in the psychological literature. Now, will any of it replicate? No, it's all just words making it up. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds true, so you know. <laughs>
0: bit replicates some
1: of it replicates. like spoken
0: like a true like, X psych major <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll we'll do like a um a study i mean not am sorry sorry a podcast on uh, how to read studies like how to read the method section how to understand the statistics i'll make some videos on this i was thinking about this this week where you know because at the end of everything we do we're like go read it yourself you know and we really mean that but sometimes you need the tools to do that so we'll talk about like um, a bunch of different uh, statistical uh, measures and techniques that appear in some of the studies, and I'll make snippets on them, or I'll just direct you to StatQuest, which is like a really good YouTube channel for this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a
0: good idea. In terms of how to read the stuff we're reading so far, I mean Frederick Douglass. Frankly, you can just sit and read it. Like, yeah, you can read it like a novel, and it will shock you and open your mind. Um, Book of Five Rings. I would say read it with a pen in hand.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that.
0: You know, dog ear your book, underline some stuff, um, so you can make sure you catch those really deep insights in there.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I would also say uh, with Frederick Douglass, like it's not a sob story. You know, like it it has extreme uh, darkness, but it also has a lot of light in it, and and it's a it's, it's a page turner. You know, you really are wondering like what's gonna happen next. Like it's an adventure story in a sense too.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, honestly, like. It, I would not call it, like, a sad book. It's no. it's an amazing story of, like, yeah. freedom and perseverance and, and just, like, you know, human greatness.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like, it's not like taking a dose of, like, bitter medicine, you know? It's, yeah. it's more like, like, climbing a mountain or something, you know? Where it's, like, a hard climb and, like, you struggle through it, but there's, like, a light at the end of it, you know? And, and the journey itself has, like, a lot of value. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's not like sitting on your couch or something, or like eating, like a bonbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. for or a lot like, of this this literature, you know. Yeah, and just reading in general, right?
0: It's it's harder than scrolling Twitter. It's harder than scrolling Reddit. It's harder than watching TikToks or or your Instagram feed. Um, yeah, and um, you know, I'm not saying you there's no room for any of those things. I think that definitely people get value from from doing some of those things, um, and uh, ultimately, our goal here is to, like, empower you to do what you want to do. Because I think when we talk to people about reading, what I find is, like, a lot of people want to do more of this. but Everyone. it's just so much easier to do the other things, right? Like, yeah. even for me, I've really ramped up my reading in recent months. I still scroll Reddit for, like, multiple hours in a week.
1: Yeah, yeah. You I know? Mean, it's, it's hard to, to find the time. I mean... One thing that I've been been struggling with lately is, like, in the evening after work, you know, like, Jules and I will be hanging out, and that eats into my reading time. So when do I get that reading time, right? If it's not before bed. And the answer is, like, I kind of just slip it into random parts of the day. Yeah. Like, little snippets here and there. And then the fact that we're doing this podcast on Sunday means I have a deadline. Yep. So that helps. The deadline helps a lot, for sure. Yeah. And if you guys join the app, you'll have your own deadlines set up and if you join the book clubs and stuff within the app on a recurring basis, people will get together and talk about stuff and it'll help you to, you know, meet meet those meet those goals with like an external commitment, which if you watch our commitment and consistency video, you'll see the power of that external commitment to like propel you forward towards good in our case. And the video is mostly about how it propels you towards horrible evil and calamity that's, that's fine you know it's not it's not that's, what we're doing yet. yeah it's not what we're doing here. we promise <laughs> I probably shouldn't make every psychological video about how you can become like a Nazi camp guard <laughs> I mean it's so, an important
0: thing to think about but it is yeah
1: yeah yeah alright well should we wrap up that's a wrap that's a wrap come back next week for the unfettered mind